Welcome back to the program. Look at most people that have achieved great success today, and you'll find a great coach or a great mentor not far behind. As a culture steeped in the ethos of success, it's surprising, really, that we don't put more emphasis on and greater value for coaching and mentoring. Think about some examples. Dr. Martin Luther King, mentored by Benjamin Mays. Warren Buffett, mentored by Benjamin Graham. Bill Gates, who would later be mentored by Buffett. We marvel at the success of Steve Jobs, who had several mentors, including Robert Friedland and Andy Grove. These relationships were not just about teaching. They were about inspiring. As the great poet Robert Frost said of his work, I am not a teacher, I'm an awakener. Mentoring is about awakening us to be, as the slogan goes, all that we can be. Few do this job better than our guest today, David C.M. Carter. David Carter is widely regarded as one of the world's leading mentors. His limited client list has included CEOs of major companies, entrepreneurs, celebrities, and philanthropists. He has become the go-to mentor. For those who've already achieved success, seeking to achieve breakthroughs in their lives that will bring them even more happiness and success. It is my pleasure to welcome David C.M. Carter to the program today to talk about his new book, Breakthrough. Learn the secrets of the world's leading mentor and become the best you can be. David Carter, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me on the show. Delight to have you here. First of all, tell us how you became essentially a professional mentor. Well, I wish I could tell you that it was by design and I had some great strategic epiphany, but it didn't happen like that at all. Um, I had been, um, I'd had two careers before I started becoming a professional mentor. I was 10 years in private equity and investment banking and then 10 years on the other side of the fence being an entrepreneur, and I had two businesses which I started, one I built up and sold, the other one I built up and floated on the stock exchange in London. And um, I found myself in the mid-90s as um, a single parent with a seven-year-old and a three-year-old to bring up on my own, and I decided that I wanted to do something that was more kind of family-friendly. I couldn't juggle being... uh, a public company CEO and a, and a dad. And whilst I was busy looking into all sorts of weird and wonderful things to do next, um, people who knew me or knew about me kept coming up to me and saying, look, whilst you're busy thinking about what you, you want to do next, could you help me decide whether to take my company public or sell it or expand overseas or with strategy, business model or whatever? And um, And I started helping them. And after about six months, I was still busy looking at other things to do. I took on a very famous uh, celebrity client, and um, I said to my mum one day when I was picking the kids up, um, gosh, you never guess who I met today for lunch, and she wants to become a client. And my mum said, gosh, it's going so well for you, isn't it? Um, And I said, well, it is going well, mum, but I don't have any time to think about what I want to do next. And she said, oh, I thought this was what you were doing next. (laughs) And uh, that was nearly 17 years ago. And uh, I remember driving home that night with the kids fast asleep in the back of the car, thinking, you know, I love doing this. I'm really good at it. It pays the bills and it makes a difference. And I can't think of another criteria. And maybe if I wake up in the morning and I've thought of one, I should stop doing this. But actually, I think this is what I'm doing next. And then over the subsequent 14 years, I built up 
American Co., which became the world's leading chief executive mentoring company. And we had offices all around the world when I left three years ago in September. And then after 14 years of leading that business um, and building it into the success that it was, I decided it was time to move on and kind of step up another gear and really only work with a handful. I only work with 10 clients now around the world um, who want to make money and make a difference. And so my clients who are based in Silicon Valley and in New York and Johannesburg and Copenhagen uh, and London and where else, uh, elsewhere, they're all building large, complex, global, multinational companies, but they all want to use their network and their and leverage their success and their company's success to also make a difference. And that goes to the heart of something you talked about with respect to yourself that, that you've applied to working with your clients as well. These four principles, this idea of, of finding that intersection between something that we're passionate about, something that we're good at, something that makes a difference, and that pays the bills. Absolutely. I, I call that being in the zone. And I think that if you look at all of the great examples of all the people that you cited in your opening remarks to this interview, all of them were absolutely operating in the zone. And so were their mentors as well. And so I think it's something, you know, I've read over 500 personal mastery, personal development books over the last 15, 16 years. I've been on 50, 60 courses, programs, workshops, and I've studied what it is um, is required to get to the top and stay at the top. And um, what I've done in my book Breakthrough is distill down the wisdom that I've learned from working with my clients over the last 15 years and that I've learned from all those books and courses into one place. And being in the zone is absolutely one of those things that the people who are at the top do on autopilot. Talk about the difference between those people that have to learn the skills or learn the sense of being able to do those four things versus those for whom it comes virtually naturally. I'm not sure if I'd put people quite simply into those two categories of those who do it naturally and those that don't and have to learn it. I think that there are components of uh, success which different people have different bits of it, which mm -hmm. they can do extremely well on autopilot, and, and they do it very naturally and seamlessly. But even those people who are at the top of the game, um, whether it's in art or entertainment or business, you know, there are always aspects of their game that they need to work on uh, that don't come naturally. I mean, look at top sports people. You know, they all have a coach. Look mm -hmm. at top um, business leaders now, they all have a mentor or coach. And I think it's people who are aware that it doesn't come easily and it doesn't come naturally and it's something you have to constantly work at. They're the ones that I seem to witness get ahead, whereas people who think that it's effortless and they don't really need to apply themselves or bother, they, they can often be a weekend wonder or a flash in the pan, but their success isn't enduring. Part of it is that we never really have a perfect perspective on ourselves, no matter how successful we might be, no matter how much we might have achieved, that, that when it comes to understanding and having a, an objective perspective on ourselves, 
it's something that by human nature that we're not inherently good at. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that um, when I take on a new client, one of the first things we do, we, uh, when I take on a new client, we, we do a, a three-day retreat, just the two of us, um, which is a huge time commitment. But you know, I won't take on someone who isn't prepared to, to set aside that you know, amount of time for them to really put together you know, a success formula. But one of the first things we do during that retreat is, is a 360 where we compare how they see themselves with how 20 or 30 other major key stakeholders in their lives see them as well. And uh, that exercise is really fascinating and, and critical because if we see ourselves in a particular way and we tell ourselves a story about ourselves, about how we come across in the world, how we show up in the world, how we impact on other people. Uh, but that is not the same as how we do, in fact, show up or impact on other people. Then understanding that gap is critical to enabling us to course correct in order to become more effective. This is something that's not for the squeamish because it really requires a deep looking inward in, in terms of gaining that perspective you're talking about. I think... Most successful um, business leaders are, by their very nature, ambitious, and that they're ambitious in a healthy way. And I think that you know they know what they know, and they know what they don't know, but they don't know what they don't know. And very often, it's what they don't know that trips them up. And I think that having the openness and the willingness to open yourself up to honest, constructive, helpful feedback where the people giving the feedback are essentially wanting you to become the best version of yourself and appreciate and admire the fact that you're laying yourself open to such feedback, then um, that's a brave thing to do. And I think actually people respect and admire people who are open to genuine, constructive, helpful feedback. But I also think that it's a very healthy um, sign of someone's own emotional and mental and spiritual development and maturity if they accept the fact that they don't know all the answers, in fact, they don't even know all the questions, and that they're open to input and feedback about how they can become a better version of themselves. You indicate that the one thing that so many of these successful people that you've worked with have in common is that they're willing to continue to focus on their own individual development. Uh, absolutely. And I think that, uh, I mean, all of the great examples that you gave earlier on, and there are you know, hundreds more, I think it's really interesting how little is actually written about um, the relationship between top, you know, performing, highly successful CEOs and business leaders and the external support that they acknowledge they receive and that they couldn't be as successful as they are if they didn't have that external help. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, one of my sayings is that the day you stop learning is the day you start dying. And I think that, you know, all these people that we're talking about, they have a thirst and a hunger for, 
for constant improvement, constant development, and they know that that comes both from within and without, and, and they're ambitious to be the best version of themselves, and therefore they'll look externally for someone who they think they can work with, who's got no axe to grind, no hidden agenda, no conflict of interest, who's there to challenge them in a constructive and positive way to be a, the best version that they can possibly be of themselves. One of the things you talk about is the degree to which success is linked to happiness, that there's a frustration oftentimes that comes from the realization that you're not living up to your full potential and that that frustration and that unhappiness gets in the way of success, gets in the way of those breakthroughs. Well, I think we need to be very careful how we define success. Um, I certainly don't define success as making lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I know lots of people do, but it's interesting how few people end up making loads of money, end up being happy. So um, wealth to me is health and happiness and meaning and purpose and fulfillment and joy in our lives. And I think part of that comes from growing and building a phenomenally successful business Um, But I think it's the difference that you make to the people who work in the company, in the community that the company services and looks after. And at the end of our lives, you know, there's always hundreds, millions of people who've ended up making more money than us. And so if the only score on the door that anyone's interested is how much money you've made, that's a very sad way to end your life. And I think at the end of people's lives, they look back and say, well, did I learn did I love, did I um, live, and did I leave a legacy? And I think, you know, did I make a difference? And I think that um, I think that they're the really important questions. And I think if you look at all these phenomenally successful people, like Buffett or Gates or whoever, they've all built phenomenal wealth. But now look what they're doing with that wealth. They're making sure that they use that wealth to make a difference. They're you know, wonderful organizations of major multinational companies where they use their um, their business to not only make fantastic profits for their shareholders, but they use the business to make a difference in the world. This goes to the heart of those six areas that you talk about as part of this, this wheel of life, that really there are, there are six key components that we need to look at. Well, yes, the six spokes that I talk about on the wheel of life are professional, personal, spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional. And I'm sure, you know, we can all think of someone who is really good at two or three of those things, Mm -hmm. but has a weakness where they don't pay attention to one of them. And that's why so often, uh, you know, highly successful people have highly unsuccessful marriages or relationships, or they end up with health problems. You know, because you've got to pay attention to all six spokes of the of the wheel. Um, otherwise, if one spoke is broken or one spoke is overdeveloped, it's actually quite a bumpy ride. Why is that? Explain that a little bit. Um, well, because you know, life is life is not about the accumulation of wealth um, or, or money, and life is about relationships with other people. It's about you know, when we get to the end and we look back, no, no one, no one will care about how much money we've made, but they care about whether we were a good father, a good husband, um, a, you know, a good 
friend, <clears throat> a good business leader, a good colleague, a good you know, co-worker. And if all of the things that we did in our life made a difference to others. So I think that we need to pay attention to our holistic self, not just that one spoke, uh, which is the professional spoke. Now, the professional spoke is really important, but if you then start to operate the professional spoke, bearing in mind all of those other um, areas of our life as well, I think that the professional spoke ends up being more successful. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that certainly you talk about is our inherent resistance to change. We all, it's very difficult for people to change. But one of the things that you focus on in the work that you do with your clients and and the work that that people can do is that small changes can make a big difference, that a 5% course correction can have a tremendous effect. Talk a little about that, David. I think that... um you know, people do resist change. People uh, find change difficult. And um, I, I think a lot of people have developed what I call learned helplessness. What's the point? Nothing I do makes a difference. You know, nothing I do ever works. And so therefore they end up, you know, staying s- stuck in a rut in, 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 the, in the wheel. And, um, but I say to them, well, what would a better version of you look like? Not Never mind the best version. What would a better version of you look like? Let me give you a very silly example um, that I'm sure lots and lots of your listeners can relate to. You know, um, I had a pretty serious operation last year in my neck. And uh, as a result of all the drugs and everything I had to take for months afterwards and I had to couldn't go to the gym, I've ended up probably being you know, 10 pounds overweight. Well, of course, I wish there was an instant gratification <laughs> solution that I could lose that weight overnight and wake up tomorrow slim again. But unfortunately, there isn't. And, you know, you've got to do the hard yards and go on a diet and, and it's a kind of pound a week for the next 10 weeks. Um, so, in other words, each one of those course corrections, those five degrees is about how I choose to live today. You know, I can't lose the weight overnight, but what I can do today is eat more sensibly today, um, cut things out that I know will help me start exercising and build myself up slowly over time. But of course, what happens is at the end of the first week when you realize you've lost two pounds of your 10-pound goal, you think, wow, that's great. Um, and you feel fantastic having made some small course corrections and ended up in a better place. And I think that metaphor can be used for so many things in our life that, you know, if I want to make a million dollars, you know, you know, if I, all I ever do is think about how I can make it all in one deal or one one go, then that probably might prevent me from getting on and doing things that would help me do it over a period of time, bit by bit by bit. So so rather than not start the journey, I always say to people, change course five degrees and see how that course correction gets you to a better place. Then tell me how you feel, and I'm sure you'll feel better having made that course correction and achieved that marginal degree of success which you'll be pleased with yourself about and then if you enjoy it do it again and do it again and do it again you know, uh, 25 degree course corrections 
ends up with 100% improvement over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And part of what this requires, as you talk about, is really learning discipline or focusing on on areas of discipline every single day. Yes, and uh, um, I'm always... (laughs) I'm hesitant to use the word discipline because we all inherently avoid discipline, but I think it's kind of personal mastery, it's self-control. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day um, of the week, every day of the year, um, I have two little daily disciplines, you know, both of which take about eight minutes, and they're two you know, short meditations. Um, the first of which I do first thing in the morning, which is, um, to think about all of the things in my life that I'm grateful for. And, you know, I always run out of time rather than out of things to, you know, to, to list. And at the end of every day, I have a little reflection about what did I do today? Was I on course? Was I on track? Am I moving towards my goals? Could I have done anything any better? Was I being the best version of myself in the things I did today? Was there any a course correction I could do tomorrow to make it bigger, better, faster, smoother next time round. And so I think just being conscious every day about what's working, what's not working, course corrections that we can make. And that's a very simple discipline just to dial in every day and see how we're doing. David C.M. Carter. The book is Breakthrough. Learn the secrets of the world's leading mentor and become the best you can be. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I hope everyone uh, buys the book because all of the profits from the book in the U.S. are going to the charitable initiative, which I've set up with my friend Billy Zane, the actor, um, to help young people in disadvantaged, hard-to-reach inner cities in America launch an entrepreneurial career. So uh, I hope your listeners uh, enjoy the book. I hope they share the book, and I hope they can also help make a difference to these young people. David, thank you. David C.M. Carter, the book is Breakthrough. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.